This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is a September 11th episode, and as always, we are dedicated to answering the fantasy football questions you have. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we are talking to one of my absolute favorite people in the business, Pat Fitzmaurice. Pat contributes to thefootballgirl.com and has the Fitz on Fantasy podcast, and he might possibly be the most accurate fantasy football ranker on the planet he is the most accurate ranker at the famous Fantasy Pros contest for the last three years, 2017 to 2019. He was second overall last year in 2019 draft ranking accuracy and amazing. One of my favorite fantasy football minds and an even better person. If you want to lose your fantasy matchups, do not follow him. But you want to win, follow him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. My man, Pat Fitzmaurice, as the great naughty by nature used to say, once again, it's on. Oh, Mike, what a flattering intro. Uh, and you know, I'm an old guy. So bringing out the early 90s ear candy. Yes. I mean, that's awesome. I can appreciate that. Uh, I could take it back even further a couple of decades with a uh, musical tribute to jubilant anticipation for the NFL season with uh, the Funkadelic song, Standing on the Verge of Getting It On. Yes. But- oh, I do know that the mailbag is a Friday show, though, so uh, the naughty by nature selection is probably a little more apt because it is, in fact, on. And uh, but yeah, Mike, I just want to say you are one of my very favorite people to talk to about fantasy football or anything else for that matter. So extremely honored to be uh, a guest on the mailbag. You set trends here, Pat. So last year we had the the question about the favorite band that just took on a life of its own. So, I mean, I just expect whatever you do right now is going to last for the next three months. So no pressure whatsoever here, Pat. We'll get we'll get into it right away. <laughs> You're a busy guy. You do so many podcasts. I'm thrilled to have you on for week one, though. Uh, we weren't sure this was going to happen a month ago, but here we are. This pod's going to drop on Friday morning, so I have to ask you about the kickoff game, which is going on on Thursday, Houston at Kansas City. So when this drops, this game will be over. It's amazing. So excited that we have football. This is going to be our FFPC stat attack of the show, folks. The FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. Dynasty, best ball. I did another one last night. And of course, the world-famous FFPC main event, If you want to learn more or join the league, go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Still have a few days left, folks, to get that in there. And, of course, we have a ton of tools here at Rotoviz designed specifically for that FFPC domination. Using the Rotoviz Team Splits app, there have been four times in Andy Reid's tenure in Kansas City where the Chiefs have been favored in Week 1. In those games, the Chiefs have scored an average of 27.5 points and allowed 20.3 points while going 3-1. They did open at Houston back in 2015. They won 27-21. Alex Smith, which, by the way, is one of the feel-good stories of the year. 
He's healthy again. He threw three touchdown passes in that game back in 2015. Andy Reid is the master, the Geppetto of these early season games. But how do you think the running back touches are going to go for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in this opening game on Thursday? Oh, man, Mike, I love that we have teleported ourselves into the future for this. So I should probably record two different takes, right? <laughs> I mean, take one is like, take one is, oh, man, can you believe that anyone was doubting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as a first rounder? I mean, imagine taking Joe Mixon over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And uh, take two would be something like, oh, Mike, how do you think all the people who drafted Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round are feeling after seeing Daryl Williams get more snaps and touches last night? Can you oh, believe wait, it? Pat, I'm telling you, we got to put a bet in on <laughs> Daryl Williams scoring the first touchdown. We have to do it. I'm sure it's out there. I got to find it because why not, right? I mean, it's not the worst bet, you know, like the, the bigger dude maybe gets the goal line work. But um, yeah, it's just wild. We had this marquee quarterback matchup in the opener with Patrick Mahomes going up against Deshaun Watson and the fantasy football community was way more interested in Clyde Edwards-Alaire than in the quarterback duel. But I, I get it, man. I mean, Clyde was this pivotal figure in people's draft strategies this year. And I was pretty conflicted myself. I mean, it was hard to watch an LSU game last fall and not believe in this guy's ability. And then he goes to the NFL's best offense as the first running back off the board in the draft, the only first rounder. And then his primary competitor for work, Damian Williams, opts out of the season because of COVID. I mean, it's just the appeal is so obvious. But then we can't be exactly sure about his role. And he's a smaller back who isn't exactly a speed merchant. He's got a 4-6-40 time, which gives him a size-adjusted speed score below the 50% threshold. And he only had one year of great college production at LSU after not playing much at all as a freshman and just having sort of a bit role as a sophomore. I don't know. If I had to guess what Clyde's first game looked like, I would say 13 carries, three catches, maybe 90 combined yards and a score. I think he'll get like 55 to 60% of the the snaps. And maybe Daryl Williams gets like 30 to 35% with about seven or eight carries. But yeah, Mike, because it's Friday, I guess we uh, already know right now whether I look like a soothsayer or a jackass for that prediction. So that's good to know. Listen, regardless of what you say, it really doesn't matter because it's week one. I just put a tweet out about how, remember at this time last year, when that opening game happened, Aaron Jones had something like 33, 35 total yards, no touchdowns. He had one reception pat for zero yards. Guy goes in to smash and have 19 total touchdowns. So regardless of what happens, everyone, let's just keep it together one way or the other. Listen, Hilaire could be great. I, I'm with you. I think he has a safe floor. I don't think we're going to wake up to a, a Darrell Williams 120 yards and two touchdown game. That's out of the question. But certainly he's going to be involved and it looks like it can be a, a larger role as the year goes on, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's kind of become one of my favorite later round running backs as things have gone on just because, you know, there was the ambiguity of how the backup role was going to be split between Daryl and uh, DeAndre Washington. And, you know, maybe uh, Darwin Thompson would factor in, but, you know, once they released Washington, I mean, it, it went from being this two a two B situation to Daryl clearly having that role. And in that kind of an offense where you're going to probably have the chiefs leading the league in touchdowns. I mean, any sort of role, even a backup role could be potentially valuable. And if anything were to happen to Clyde, you know, Daryl instantly becomes this waiver wire gem that people are dropping 
you know, 70% of their fab on. Now I'm going to get to the cantankerous question for me. Very frustrated, but from the outhouse to the penthouse, Leonard Fournette goes to Tampa Bay. I am depressed because, as you know, I was on the Ronald Jones train. You know, we're fantasy analysts, so we want to find that late round sort of guy who can pop. And there was enough doubt out there about Ronald Jones that I thought he really could be in a prime situation. And I thought he would start the year as the lead back. But now Fournette's there. We have pictures of him with Tom Brady hanging out in the house. He said today that he feels he finally has a real quarterback. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that letter, Fournette. <laughs> Obviously showing why maybe the GM and, and the management there wasn't in favor of him. But what do we do with the Buccaneers backfield here, Pat? That's what I'm asking you right now. Oh, man. Well, I'm not going to lie, Mike. I feel pretty glad that I didn't buy my ticket to the Ronald Jones bandwagon. That's why you're you. That's why you're the most accurate guy. That's it. (laughs) There were smart people like you and Sean Siegel expressing optimism about him. You know, but now the Bucs, in chronological order, have drafted Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round, signed LaShawn McCoy, signed Leonard Fournette. I mean, I think it's fair to collectively interpret those transactions into the message, we don't trust Rojo. And and yet Bruce Arians is still trying to gaslight everyone. Rojo's still our guy. I mean, just stick a sock. Oh, chicken in. little, chicken little Bruce Arians. Come on. <laughs> so I guess Fournette is probably the best bet in this offense, but I don't know. I still couldn't get him any higher than I think RB 36 in my final draft rankings. And I think I had Rojo like RB40, McCoy in the late 50s, since he might have some sort of passing down role. And unfortunately, Mike, while I wasn't on the Ronald Jones bandwagon, I was on the Keyshawn Vaughn bandwagon, which pretty much got a flat tire before it rolled out of the station. I don't know. All in all, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, I think Vaughn, though, has good dynasty value right now because, you know, a lot of people are going to have a knee-jerk reaction. And listen, next year, who knows what's going to happen with Fournette, Ronald Jones, the whole thing. So Vaughn, I think, is a, is a dynasty buy for me. But I agree. For this year, I, I, don't, I don't see the impact. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery as well. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. At Rotoviz, we love titles. We love hardware. We love championships. We love winning. And we love it when you do it too. In 2020, one thing we want to win with you is the underdog fantasy. Best ball mania. $1 million best ball tournament. It's $200,000 to first place. It's only $25 to enter. It's a no-brainer. This is like the elite best ball title this year. So you got to go to underdogfantasy.com or download their great underdog fantasy app in the app store on your smartphone device and you're going to make a deposit. You're going to use code ROTOVIZ when you make that deposit. Then you're going to go refer five friends, and Underdog and ROTOVIZ will give you a free entry into the Best Ball Mania tournament. So it's, it's kind of like a two-for-one. You sign up, 
You put in 25 bucks, you enter the Best Ball Mania tournament, you get five buddies to play, you use code ROTOVIZ, you get a free entry. No brainer, guys. Let's chase that glory. 200 grand. If $25 is too pricey for you, they've got a $5 tournament called the Bubble, and you can win 20 grand in that bad boy. Their app is slick. You click on the player's name, you see the ownership, you see the latest news and notes. You can draft from that app with no problem. Man, they really knocked it out of the park with this product, and I can't wait for you to try it. So go to underdogfantasy.com today, make a deposit, and use code ROTOVIZ, and chase that glory. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. Finally, with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use that promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout. You get your 50% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use that promo code Code Blue Wire. I figured, Pat, who better to ask about the tight end 6 to 12 no man's land than the most accurate ranker around? Correlation of zero the past five years there between their ADP and where they finished. So, who do you think fantasy drafters should expect to finish in that important, unpredictable area? I guess this is a way of asking you who are the late round tight ends that you could see sneaking up there to be a tight end one? Well, I'm kind of a, a lousy tight end ranker, Mike. That oh, position on, has man. been my Achilles heel as a <laughs> ranker the last couple of years. So maybe I'm not the guy to ask. But um, so I, I think TJ Hawkinson has the ability to ascend to that level. I mean, he was this elite tight end prospect coming out of Iowa and, you know, just considered kind of a can't miss and, you know, has the smash game in week one against the Lions last year. And it looks like it's wheels up for him. But, um, you know, then. He and Stafford missed some connections in the next few games. Uh, Hawkinson starts dealing with injuries. Stafford gets hurt. Uh, things went south pretty quickly, but Jason Wood of Football Guys just mentioned on my podcast that um, you know he was looking at some of the elite tight end prospects and what they did as rookies, and they averaged like, I don't know, 400 yards and three touchdowns in their first seasons and then jumped to like 900 yards and eight touchdowns in year two. So not totally out of the question that uh, Hawkinson could make that kind of leap now that Stafford's back. Um, You know, I I would bet on the talent there. So, um, you know, I, I, don't know if he's going to be a 900-yard guy, but I think he could ascend to that mid to back end, tight end one area. Um, I know I think we're probably going to see some of the usual suspects in that range, though. Evan Engram, you know, even if he inevitably misses two to three games, I think he's good enough to finish as a, a low end TE one. Uh, Hunter Henry, Hayden Hurst, Tyler Higby, pretty much any guy whose last name begins with an H, and um, you know, probably Gronk. I think that's sort of where people are ranking Gronk, but not likely to have any more thousand yard seasons, but I think he could do 600 with seven or eight TDs. And, um, you know, of the lower ranked guys, the guys who are solidly in, in tight end two range, I think maybe like Jonu Smith and Chris Herndon are the best bets and, and Herndon just because by default, I mean, he's almost like the Jets number one or number two target. And, uh, you know, Jonu, is a really talented guy. Again, not much target competition with just AJ Brown and and not much else on that roster, but the one possible obstacle for him is just team passing volume. 
Those are great calls. And the Hawkinson one is interesting because, of course, we have to sift through the reports we get from beat reporters and things throughout preseason. And I heard that Hawkinson early on, I liked him. I drafted him a lot of my best ball leagues. Then I heard, well, you know, his ankle's still not 100%, so I get all frustrated. Then we get reports over last week that he's totally dominating linebackers in practice. So J.J. Zacharyson came on, totally fits the profile, athletic, second-year breakout, everything. Across the board, those are great. Uh, And and I'm curious to see, because you know it's going to be one of those guys. It fits my motto. Either get a tight end early or go very late. I'm not into the Hunter Henry area. That's just not an area that that I'm going to be in. So. Uh, I'm with you on those. Dave Cabin came on last week, made an impressive pitch for wide receiver not being deep. I think the overall general feeling is, ah, wide receiver is so deep because, you know, they're using three wide receiver sets. His argument, though, is that because of that, those top end guys are even more valuable. So where are you on this? Oh, I agree with Dave completely on that. Before and during the Scott Fishball, we had this group Twitter chat set up for all the people drafting at 109. And uh, as a matter of fact, Mike Mills, the bassist from REM, was an active participant in that chat, which was pretty cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the overwhelming consensus among my fellow 109 seemed to be that wide receiver was just super deep. You can wait at wide receiver. And uh, I just don't see it that way, especially in a league like the Scott Fishbowl, where you can start five or six receivers every week. I don't know. The, the top 35 at receiver I mean, that's an absolute candy store. Just so much to choose from. Can't go wrong. From 36 to 60, it's kind of a grab bag. You might get some good stuff, some some Pixie 6, some Sprees. Uh, but you might get some jawbreakers and some uh, juji fruits. Oh, did you say sprees? Oh, my oh, yeah. goodness. Great old, call. Old school Great. candy, but that's the good stuff, Mike. Um, yeah, and so, like, there's some good stuff in the 36 to 60 range, but, like, some – Guys who just might not pan out and you'll know it right away and you have to kind of throw them back. And then after 60, I mean, if we're really going to stretch the candy analogy, like that's, you know, the butterscotch candies your grandma used to leave in a dish in the uh, oh. on an end table in the living room. <laughs> yes. Or, you yeah, know, awful. the black licorice zone. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, man, like I don't even have darts I really like to throw beyond wide receiver 60. You know, I'm that's like Steven Sims Jr. or – you know, just roster filler, basically. So I think you're in trouble if you are trying to get your wide receiver two out of that, you know, wide receiver 35 and beyond group, or if you're trying to get your wide receivers three and four out of that butterscotch candy group. I mean, you are way behind the curve relative to the rest of your league at a hugely important position. You are giving me so many great ideas for the name of this podcast. I mean, just the ideas are flowing off my head here. I got a transition from candy to cereal. Jake Seely came on. He started a trend like you did last year with bands. Cereal, do you eat it? What did you have as a kid? What's your favorite? You know, what's your go-to here? I mean, the favorite as a kid is still the favorite now. It's peanut butter Captain Crunch. Oh, good one. Like that is is the go-to. I'm also a big Golden Grahams fan. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, are in sync on that one. So there's always a box of golden grams in the house. And granted now, I mean, it's a lot of healthier cereals mixed in, you know, the, you can have the the treat cereals around, but you also have to have like the, the raisin brand crunch or the smart starts or uh, something like that. But as far as Jake though, Mike, I went down a, a Twitter thread rabbit hole that Jake started a while back. And a lot of people were kind of piping up in favor of cinnamon toast crunch. Yep. 
And I don't think I'd ever had it before just because of my loyalty to Golden Grams. And they just seem like one and the same, basically. But I gave in and got some Cinnamon Toast Crunch a couple of months ago. And uh, hats off to Jake. It was delicious. So, <laughs> you know, my compliments to the All-In Kid for that recommendation. See, I mean, he's affecting people in fantasy and their their eating choices. I mean, the, the Jake Seely impact here is far and wide on the road of his mailbag. <laughs> I find, Pat, that trying to handicap Josh Jacobs reminds me of like a middle school crush. You stare, you look away, you hope she says hi in the cafeteria, but then she's just throwing something out behind you. You get paired with her in Spanish class, you try to roll the R, she laughs, but is she laughing at you? I I can't figure it out, and I can't figure Josh Jacobs out. I feel like he's either going to smash or he's actually going to be a pretty big disappointment here. So I'm curious, where are you in PPR formats for Jacobs? Gruden is on record saying he was upset that Kyler Murray got the offensive rookie of the year. It should have been Josh Jacobs, and he's committed to getting him some passing down work. But oh, by the way, here's here's Theo Riddick. Oh, by the way, here's Devontae Booker. So where are you on Jacobs here in terms of where you see him ending up at the end of this year? I'm pretty bullish. Uh, I just took him at 204 in a PPR league uh, over the weekend, and I was pretty thrilled that he lasted that long. And I guess, so I totally believe in him as a runner after what we saw in some of those games last year, like uh, how good he looked against the Bears, how good he looked against the Packers. Just like He didn't leave any doubt in my mind how good of a runner he could be in this league. And it seemed like he... You know, for as much as people were worried about him operating in that committee with Damian Harris and Najee Harris at Alabama, like the greater workload did not seem to be a problem for him last year. And I, the one concern that people did have or, or do still have is his usage in the passing game. And like that seemed to become even more problematic in the offseason when the Raiders drafted Lynn Bowden Jr., and then they signed Theo Riddick. Uh, they've got, you know, Devontae Booker. They gave Jalen Richard an extension. So now that they have traded Lynn Bone Jr. to the Dolphins and released Riddick, I mean, it's just now Jalen Richard and what? Booker, I guess. Yeah, so, that's it. yeah. And I just think back to either March or April before the draft or maybe on draft weekend where Mayock was. Uh, Mike Mack, the GM, was talking about wanting to get Jacobs more involved in the passing game. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because Mayock was in the media, but he seems a little less prone to total bullshit when he's talking about stuff like that. It seemed like an earnest statement uh, when I saw him talking about that. And I just kind of believed it. And, and you know, everything they did at first in the offseason seemed to uh, contradict what Mayock said. But now that they've jettisoned two of these possible pass catching backs. I feel a little bit better about Jacobs and I, you know, I'm pretty bullish overall. I think he's like my RB 10 or something. Yeah. And he's going to smash in week one. I think Pat we're going against Carolina there. Uh, oh, yeah. Not a great run defense at all. A question here from Kevin on a lake, which is relevant here talking to Pat Fitzmaurice here from, from out in Wisconsin. He wants to know, What's a week one low-end buy quarterback and an avoid? So I guess he's looking for one sort of stay away early on and one buy. And obviously he's a Giant fan, so maybe he's going for Daniel Jones. Also wants to know your thoughts on Darius Slayton. So <laughs> give me here from Kevin on the lake. Give me a QB buy and a fade and then maybe thoughts on Slayton this year in his in his second year in New York. Well, Kevin might not like that my biggest avoid, I think, that in week one would be 
Daniel Jones going against the Steelers. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that is the only single quarterback that I would not touch this week in a single QB league. Just don't want any piece of him going up against the Steeler defense, which is really legit. Um, you know, I, I've only got Kyler Murray as kind of a, a another fade, like a, an obvious fade in my rankings this week. I've him down at like quarterback 12, just sort of a tough matchup against the 49ers. And maybe it takes him a couple games to sync up with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. As far as the low end buys, I know a lot of people are on Jimmy G this week. Um, I'm not quite that excited since he probably isn't going to have either Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk to throw to, uh, so, you know, that leaves Kendrick Bourne and, uh, Trent Taylor is like his top two wide receivers. Maybe Dante Pettis. I'm not too excited about that. Uh, I'm a truther for Dante Pettis, barely, but I'm still a truther. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, man, I, it's nice that he at least is going to have the opportunity to finally get out of the uh, you know the doghouse that he uh, spent basically all of 2019 in. Yeah. Um, no one really likes Jared Goff, but that Rams-Cowboys game on Sunday night could be a shootout. I think the Vegas total on that game is around 50. And if Dallas sits back in that cover three defense all game, I could see Cooper Cup and the Rams tight ends having a field day. So I'll throw out Goff as a, a sneaky good week one play. That's a great one. So you're then you're you're not high on Slayton then for week one, but maybe for the season. So like I was wrestling, I don't know about you, Mike. I was kind of wrestling with how to rank those Giants wide receivers. Like they were all kind of. I just bunched. take the cheapest one. Yeah, I take I take Tate. Tate has fallen to the lowest level of all three. Yeah, it does seem like Tate has always been the number three guy there, and, and maybe that's completely wrong. Especially if he's going to be the main slot guy. I mean, you would almost think you would want the slot guy, but um, you know, I I have heard that. Shepard has kind of distinguished himself in camp as like the lead guy there. And I, I kind of buy it for some reason. At first, I was skeptical of Shepard when he came into the league, but I've kind of turned into a pro Shepard guy after being sort of anti at first. And I think people might be a little over exuberant with Slayton just because uh, and now I'm forgetting who. Well, he had two two touchdown games last year, but he had the one in the uh, standalone night game. And I'm, the I'm Philly game? Struck. Was that the Philly game? Was it the Eagles? Okay, I was struggling yeah, to remember who they played in that game. But like any time a guy scores two touchdowns, and at least one of them was the long one, like in a, a standalone night game, like that just totally lights the uh, lights the fuse in his ADP. And you know, I don't know if we're going to see that when both Tate and Shepard are healthy. And I think Slayton sort of benefited from injuries at that position last year so we'll see if it happens again he was kind of a guy who was always a little too expensive for me in drafts this year uh i think he's talented even though the the college resume wasn't exactly sterling if you go back and look at his numbers but um yeah he was just he got a little too expensive for me in the off season want to pick your brain on the big fantasy debates we've had on the bag this year first up woods versus cup it's almost like a law firm now pat woods or cup where are you going oh god i've oscillated on this i i you know i'm taking the the soft way out and putting them adjacent to each other in the rankings i mean i was kind of a woods guy and then uh, i know chris raybon of the action network it made like an impassioned plea for cooper cup and uh he made a pretty good case. And uh, I don't know, since I guess we just talked about it, how Cup, I really like the week one matchup for him. I'll, I'll give Cup the slightest edge here. 
Next up, is David Johnson really washed? I'm starting to think no. I'm starting to think that he may be the one running back from that sort of ADP no man's land for backs that could actually finish as a top five running back, assuming that what we saw in the first eight weeks is true. Where are you on David Johnson? Yeah, that's a good question. And as you know, they just played last night uh, for all intents and purposes. Like, I got to be careful with my answer here. (laughs) But (laughs) I can say that he is part of that group of running back twos that I was just completely drafting around in uh, all my drafts this year. I mean, just not taking Johnson, not taking Le'Veon Bell, not taking Todd Gurley, uh, not even taking James Conner. Like I kind of, you know, it was like Jonathan Taylor at 15, Chris Carson at 16. And then I would step real lightly around all these other guys until we got to like, you know, Cam Akers and it was green light again. Um, So I'm a little bit, pessimistic about him um you know maybe it is the pass catching that helps keep the boat from sinking entirely if he has lost a little bit of a physical edge due to some of these injuries um you know of course we've seen that uh gif a million times of him like you know looking like he was playing in an old timers game on that sweep left last year so i I think you know that's (laughs) gotten into a lot of people's heads uh, entirely possible that we are sleeping on him. And, you know, maybe if he's just 90% of what he was in his breakout season at Arizona, I mean, people are going to feel stupid for letting him go to running back 21 or 22 in some of these drafts. But um, I don't know. Once once the injuries start accumulating the way they have with him, I, I tend to stay away. And I don't think there's anyone, Mike, in fantasy football who has destroyed, just torpedoed as much draft capital, early round draft capital, as Dave and Johnson has over the past like three years. That's very fair. And and the last one here has has been spurred from an argument I had with someone. Somebody was tweeting at me, told me they're very high on Rob Gronkowski. And my response was, all right, I'm not, but fine. Who's going to suffer in Tampa Bay? And the person never answered the question. So I'm going to throw it to you. Either Tom Brady is going to have like a Peyton Manning-like year when he had like the the 50 touchdowns, whatever it was, or someone is not going to hit their ADP. Now, week one, you have Tampa Bay at New Orleans, so it's going to be Lattimore and Evans, and we know from two years ago that was a lot of fun. So there's Godwin, there's Gronkowski. You're now going to have Fournette there who had 100 targets last year. So who is suffering in Tampa Bay? Who do you think is most likely not to meet their ADP in the passing game? Oh man, can I say everyone? Like I, I that's good. Yeah. I feel like Godwin and Evans are both overvalued. I mean, one because it's kind of unpredictable how Brady is going to uh, distribute the ball, and to have both of those guys as like top ten ADP guys just seems a little optimistic. And um, I mean, Mike, I don't know if people are talking enough about the fact that Brady turns forty three. Uh, or just turned 43 last month. And Pat, this this game this game coming up on Sunday is the first time I saw that there's going to be a matchup between two quarterbacks who are 40 years old. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, Brady and Breeze, of course. Yeah. And I mean, Brady is the only, let's see, it's only four quarterbacks since the AFL-NFL merger have played at 43 or older. And that's uh, mm-hmm. DeBerg, Doug Flutie, Warren Moon, and Vinny Testaverde. And Vinny is the only guy who's actually started at that age. He was like 44 and got a couple starts for the Panthers at the end of his career. And I mean, 
yeah, we can say that Brady is like a different cat entirely, like maybe one of the best quarterbacks or the best quarterback ever to play the game. So we can't compare him to these guys like you know Steve DeBerg and, and Vinny Testaverde. But we have seen other undeniably great quarterbacks just crash headfirst into the age wall. You know, I, in 2019, I mean, Brett Favre, or not 2019, what was it, 2009, um, Brett Favre had that great season for the Vikings where he almost led them to the Super Bowl and had over 4,000 yards and like 33 touchdowns. I think he was QB3 in fantasy. And then the next year he averaged like under 200 passing yards a game. His TD INT ratio was like 11 to 19. He went five and eight and basically, you know, took his cue to retire after that. And Peyton Manning goes from, you know, a 38-year-old, uh, age 38 season where he threw for almost 5,000 yards. It was like 4,700, 39 TDs, finishes QB four in fantasy scoring. Broncos go 12 and four. And then the next year, 224 yards a game, nine TD passes, 17 interceptions, misses six games with a foot injury, somehow wins the Super Bowl despite not playing well in the playoffs at all. But I mean, the, both of those guys, great quarterbacks who just, completely lost it all of a sudden not saying Brady is going to and and wouldn't bet on that but I mean I think you got to factor that into the risk calculus not only for Brady but also for any receiver he's playing with and I don't know I'd just rather not bet on Godwin you know I'm taking Kenny Galladay over Godwin this year yeah I think that's fair I am not high on Brady this year I don't think they're going to want to throw it all over the place. They want to protect him, which leans Pat to, towards more rushing. They have Fournette now. I agree. I, I like Goblin a little bit more than Evans because I think he could be a little versatile, especially in week one. I, I think he can do some damage there in the carpet in New Orleans. But across the board, I agree. I, I think Tampa Bay is a little bit overrated. Washington backfield, what's going to go on here? You know, I, I like to find value in backfields that are ambiguous. JJ talked about how those are oftentimes he's charted it where those sort of late round running backs have come from. This is as ambiguous as you get. No Adrian Peterson anymore. I have a feeling it's going to be Peyton Barber in week one. I just have a feeling. But where are you on the Washington backfield? How's it going to be in week one? And where do you think it's going to play out? Well, it probably will play out with Peyton Barber, annoying the hell out of us again, Mike. I mean, I think he was put on this earth to frustrate fantasy managers. Um, But I am starting to believe that it's going to be Antonio Gibson's backfield before long. And I don't know if David Johnson really isn't David Johnson anymore. Maybe Antonio Gibson can be the new David Johnson, just this big size speed freak who, you know, is smooth in the passing game. And, uh, you know, maybe it takes him a little bit of time to get rolling before they fully trust him with a big load. I mean, I know it's freaked out a lot of people that he only had, what, 33 career college carries. But, um, you know, the physical specimen that this dude is and you know now with the adrian peterson release really opens up some opportunity for him so wouldn't be surprising if they sort of you know got him into the mix slowly and we did see a lot of peyton barber and and maybe some bryce love too early on and some jd mckissick early on i guess you know he's rankled some people uh earlier in the week by uh being at the top of the Washington depth chart. Yes, which, which means uh, nothing. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's veteran deference. And uh, go back and look at J.D. McKissick's career NFL and college numbers and you know, tell me if you're worried about him sitting atop the depth chart and hurting people's value. So um, 
not too worried about that. And uh, I am like pretty eager to invest in Gibson as this running back you can get in the later reaches of the draft, you know, as, as maybe the 25th, 5th to 30th running back off the board. Like, I think he's a pretty good investment at that point. Pat, you're a Milwaukee guy. You know, I've gone out there twice. I was supposed to go this year, but of course, COVID prevented that. So I'm going to give you a couple quick things here. And I want the skinny on them, the quick rundown from your perspective out there in the Wisconsin area. So let's start the Bucks playing the heat. Giannis hurt. How they, what is the feel? What's the vibe among the fans out there? Oh man, it's uh pretty downtrodden, Mike. Uh, you know, as we record this, they're possibly hours away from elimination. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to cry about not being able to take advantage of home court advantage um, because of the bubble. I'm just sad. I mean, the Heat are good, though. They're deep. Uh, I think Mike Budenholzer has been outcoached by Eric Spolstra in this series. Uh, it just sucks that this team is probably destined to go down as an underachiever at least over the last two years. And I think last year was really the golden opportunity that got away because losing a terrific all-around guard like Malcolm Brogdon was just such a big blow for them. And it didn't really show up as much during the regular season because, I don't know, Eric Bledsoe always looks like an all-star point guard in November games against the Cleveland Cavaliers and Detroit Pistons and then, you know, melts into a puddle of goo when he gets into the playoffs against better teams. But just not having Brogdon, who could play either guard position, play lockdown defense, score when he had to, set up his teammates. I mean, that was kind of a big loss that they're feeling now. I don't want to get too uh, inside baseball on the Bucks here, but I'm just hoping Giannis stays around, signs the Supermax contract, and the Bucks can work on the supporting cast around Giannis and Middleton. But, Mike, frankly, I am prepared emotionally to watch Giannis sign somewhere else and see the Bucks plunge into the same sort of basketball hell where they were for most of the 1990s. I mean, Bucks fandom is tough, Mike. I mean, I grew up with these great Sidney Moncrief, Terry Cummings, Paul, Paul Pressey, Pressey teams. Yes. And those were really good teams, just, you know, 55 to 60 wins every year, but they would always run into either the Larry Bird Celtics or the Dr. J Sixers in the playoffs, and usually both. And they, they might get by one of them, but they were never getting by both of them. And, uh, you know, it just seems like they've hit the same kind of wall with this team, and uh, it's just a little disheartening. As a former Eddie Lacy truther, I'm just curious, was he beloved or hated for the weight issue out there in Green Bay? Oh, beloved. I mean, it's Wisconsin, Mike. Sausage and <laughs> cheese aren't just local delicacies up there. They are actually core food groups among Wisconsinites. So yeah, loved. No question. What's the thoughts on the Packers this year? Obviously a lot of talk in the off season and Rogers took the high road for the most part, did not get a wide receiver in the draft. Are the fans seeing this as sort of a last run here? I mean, again, they got to the NFC championship game last year, struggled against the Niners on the ground, but what are expectations this year in Green Bay? Another Super Bowl? Is that, is that just where it's at? Or are they a little more tempered because it seems like maybe Rogers is headed out? You know, I think the more knowledgeable fans, uh, like my friends, the people who watch the team closely, uh, they're sensing the window closing, possibly the end of this great multi-decade run of uh, having either Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers quarterbacking the team and just seeing what, you know, they did, what Brian Gutekunst did in this just dumpster fire of a draft that they had. I mean, just... Absolutely perplexing that they would, you know, trade 
a valuable fourth round pick, which you know, a place where they could have gotten some really intriguing receiver types, just cho- totally shunning the receiver position in a loaded receiver year, uh, shunning the defensive end position where getting bullied there was just, you know, so critical to their blowout losses to the 49ers last year um, to take, you know, a, a between the tackles running back who can't catch the ball, a uh, tight end who's going to play H back or fullback or something, you know, like poor man's Kyle Juszczyk in the third round, uh, you know, and, and love who apparently, you know, couldn't even throw the ball within the framework of his receiver's body in training camp. So, yeah, I mean, they just lit the, the draft picks on fire this year and uh, you know, they were playing over their heads last year. I mean, if you, go by their point differential. They shouldn't have been anywhere near 13 and three. It was really more like a, a you know, 10 and six team, nine and seven team. And, and that's probably what they're going to be looking at. I mean, I think it's going to be like this great eight and eight, nine and nine type scramble between, you know, three or four of the NFC North teams. And, uh, you know, I'm not totally thinking the Packers are going to stink or anything this year. They've still got some really nice pieces on both sides of the ball, but, um, yeah, I think it's going to be more of a uh, do they or don't they make the playoffs type of season. And to tie it back in here to fantasy, we have to talk about Jonathan Taylor. Now, you've been high on Jonathan Taylor. You did it for the Roto Underworld Player Profiler Draft Kit, and he's a guy that I'm with you on. I think when he takes over this backfield, it can be like a Miles Sanders situation from last year, except I think it can happen earlier. Now, Marlon Mack may end up going nuts here at Jacksonville in week one, but talk about Taylor. Talk about your thoughts on him. I mean, you have a lot of, of, of experience watching him out in Wisconsin, and he was dominant here. So I know you're, you're high on Taylor. I'm with you. Talk about him. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are going to be really miffed at me, Mike, if Taylor does not pan out this year because I have sold people. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they are going to look at me as some sort of snake oil salesman. Just the most impressive running back prospect we have seen since Saquon Barkley, prototypical NFL size for running back, for featured back, uh, sub 4-4 speed, you know, and not just the the pure dimensions. I mean, he was just, his footwork is fantastic. Uh, his run vision is great. Ultra productive at Wisconsin. I mean, just the the sick numbers he put up, the multiple years over 2,000 yards. And and every year, freshman, sophomore, junior, you know, unlike Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who didn't pop until his junior year, Taylor was just dominant from the jump at Wisconsin, uh, asks the coaches specifically to get him into the passing game in his junior year so he can put that on film for NFL teams. They do. And he looks pretty good catching it. I mean, he's not going to be Austin Eckler catching the ball, but he can be competent. And I guess the drawbacks here are that the catch ceiling is probably only 25 or 30 catches, even if he eventually, you know, shoves Marlon Mack aside. And I really do expect him to shove Mack aside, but he might have to deal with that veteran deference for a few games. I mean, I think it's going to be clear before long to Frank Reich that, you know, Jonathan Taylor is just a different cat than Marlon Mack. Like Marlon Mack cannot, it makes no sense to give Marlon Mack as many or more carries than Taylor. And that's going to become evident pretty quickly, I think. And then you've got Taylor in this great offense. Well, not a great offense overall, maybe, but behind one of the best offensive lines playing in maybe, I don't know, 
I think he plays one of the running back friendliest schedules of anyone. Like the the Colts play a lot of really bad run defense, starting with the Jaguars in week one. So, you know, maybe if Taylor does only get 10 carries or so in week one, he can still cash in for you. Um, I'm just like not that worried about Marlon Mack. You know, just as Clyde Edwards-Alaire owners probably shouldn't worry about Daryl Williams. I'm not sure how much more talented Mack is than Daryl Williams. And I mean, I think this is going to be Taylor's gig pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, the upside is pretty intoxicating. Especially when you see that picture of him looking like a linebacker in the, in the preseason. I mean, certainly at the goal line for sure to start. And I agree. It's a matter of time here for, for Jonathan Taylor. I got a question here from Joey P in Philly. Love me some DFS stacks. Very excited to have DFS back again, of course, for NFL. Can you ask Pat to help me find a week one stack in DFS? So I guess he's looking for a wide receiver quarterback combination there in week one, Pat, that you think can pay off. Oh, man, I'm back to uh, picking on the Giants again. But like, I really like Pittsburgh against the Giants this week. I, I think the Giants defense might be kind of a dumpster fire. And, you know, Big Ben, I think, is kind of a solid value at 6,400, maybe not a great value, but it's not it's not super expensive. But Deontay Johnson at 4,200 um, on DraftKings looks like just a steal. And, um, you know, I, I kind of like that stack. And then, uh, well, if Joey P is from Philly, he might not like this one because I'm going to give him a Dallas stack. Um, okay. You know, we talked about that high total in the Rams-Cowboys game being around 50. Uh, You know, obviously Dak has all these different weapons and we just got to figure out who is going to be getting the Jalen Ramsey coverage. And I think it's going to be either Cooper or, um, you know, if if they do wind up using Cooper as their main slot guy, maybe Gallup. I don't think it's going to be CeeDee Lamb and Lamb is only 4,100. Just supposedly had a phenomenal camp. I mean, I think this guy's going to show right away that he absolutely belongs and you know wouldn't surprise me if he wound up being more valuable than uh either cooper or gallup this year so i kind of like the dak lamb stack that's a great under the radar one and, and a valuable too i mean it's i don't think the ownership's going to go to cd lamb that's a, that's a very good one there joey p and philly should be happy even though it's a dallas stack Thank a teacher time, Pat. Can you give a shout out here? We've been doing this every pod here with everything going on with COVID. Teachers obviously a little bit under fire, doing a great job, going above and beyond for their students, adapting to virtual learning. Can you get somebody in your K-12 years a shout out here that had a positive influence on you that you look back on and, and just want to thank here? Oh, I love that you've been asking this question and I, I've been loving hearing all the answers to this. Can I do two real quick? I'll make it fast. Of course. Of course. Uh, so I'll go back to... Um, the early stages first, I went to this great school that was kindergarten through third grade. And there were all these, the staff was just like, most of these teachers were probably in their late twenties, just this young energetic staff. And I think like my friends and I all loved school just cause it was, uh, such a great group of teachers. And, um, you know, if any of those teachers from that school would be listening to this podcast, if there's any hail Mary that that would be happening, it would be my second grade teacher, Mr. O'Brien, who was always the all-time quarterback in our football games during recess. So, yes, uh, yes. yeah, Mr. O'Brien was awesome. Got to give him a shout. And, um, you know, then in high school, I went to this uh, Catholic all-boys high school in Milwaukee, Marquette High School, which is uh, just west of Marquette University. And sophomore year, I had a British literature class, Brit Lit, with this uh, 
teacher named Mr. Carney, who was sort of a, like a Clint Eastwood type, like sort of, uh, you know, stony, steely, like the guy you wouldn't want to cross, but was also kind of funny and uh, sure, just had sure. this, you know, sarcastic, great sense of humor. And, um, you know, everyone loved this class because he had such a, a great personality. And um, I don't know, I got this assignment, I think it was like on Jeffrey Chaucer, and it was kind of an essay thing. And I don't know, I fancied myself a good writer and thought I could kind of wait, get away with BSing my way through this essay and, and not doing the reading. And, um, you know, I, I get the, uh, the blue book back with, you know, either a D or an F and, uh, you know, like next time do the reading. Like he had some nice. super he sarcastic gotcha. comment, yep. but like he totally saw through my BS and uh, called me out. And it was kind of a valuable lesson going into the later stages of high school and uh, eventually college. Like, you know, your BS skills can only get you so far and you, you have to put in the work. So, uh, you know, Mr. Carney, great teacher who uh, taught me a pretty valuable lesson. I love it, Pat. Accountability, so important for our kids. And I've had some great memories as well. They call you out, but it's a learning experience and that's not bad for a kid. Oh, that's a great one. Thank you. It's week one, man. I'm going to fire some players at you and I want you to give me your thoughts, who you prefer. So I'll give you two names, just who you prefer here. Let's assume uh, PPR leagues, okay, for week one. DK Metcalf, Calvin Ridley, same game, Seattle, Atlanta, probably both of the wide receiver two. There's some debate there with Metcalf and Lockett. Over under now is up to 49 points. Who do you prefer there, Metcalf or Ridley? Oh, man, I'm such a big DK Metcalf fan just because I think there's like Randy Moss potential there with the freakish mm-hmm. size, mm-hmm. speed, and his ability to win at the catch point. But I got to go Calvin Ridley here just because oh, he's okay. kind of uh, established. And I, I just think that, you know, he and he and Matt Ryan at home uh, connecting early on, I, I just feel a little safer there. Better team wide receiver two, John Brown at home against the Jets or Marvin Jones at home against the Bears? Man, this is a tough one. I feel like, why do I get the feeling that Josh Allen is going to be looking to hook up with Steph Diggs right away and kind of get that going? Um, and, and you know, then with the uh, Bears against the Lions, I, th- I think the Lions are going to have Kenny Galladay going up against rookie cornerback Jalen Johnson for the Bears, uh-huh. which just seems like such a gross mish- mismatch that, you know, maybe they just attack that all day. Oh, man, tough call. I think I'm going to go with Marvin, though. Like, I just – I think that the Lions are going to be able to do some business against the Bears, even uh, – Bears were a pretty good pass defense last year. So, tough one there. I'll go with Marvin. Yeah, again, with Stafford healthy, Jones was lethal last year. Absolutely. Next one, Joe Burrow. This is like a, a two-QB league question, I think. I don't think many people are starting either one of these guys. But Joe Burrow, who Curtis Patrick loves this year, at home against the Chargers, or Teddy Bridgewater there hosting the Raiders in Carolina? Oh, man. I'm going to go with Teddy. I, I hate to go against Curtis Patrick. I mean, he is one of the smartest dudes out there. But, like, I do not like this Joe Burrow matchup. A rookie quarterback with uh, having to go against a cornerback tandem of uh, – Casey Hayward and Chris Harris Jr. Like that just seems like a rough indoctrination in, in, into the NFL. So uh, I'll take the veteran Teddy here. And the last one, I could be leading the witness here, but I think this is harder than it looks. Mike Evans at New Orleans, but he's got Marshawn Lattimore or D-Jax at Washington. And week one D-Jax can be lethal. So I, I know this probably seems like a mismatch, but where are you going here? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, the, the matchup would definitely 
seem to favor DJX, but I've, I've just never been on the DJX train, like just the way he produces. Like I know the overall numbers yep. in his yep. best seasons like wind up being great, but it is this roller coaster ride of like, you know, 180 yards and two TDs one week and then three weeks of like, you know, two catches a game for 18 yards. And as, as tough as the matchup is for Evans, I think I got to go back to him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely ranking him ahead of DJX this year or this week. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's the better bet. I have sold my five-year-old son on the virtues of Miss Pac-Man. So I have to ask, you got a favorite video game of all time? Oh man, I was a Miss Pac-Man ga- guy, but uh, well, if we're talking about home games, I got to go with NHL '94, of course. Yeah, that was transcendent. Oh. My son is currently as addicted, and we talked about this uh, backstage to NBA Live as I was to yep. NHL '94 back in the day, and I'll watch him play NBA Live online with his friends and and think like this game isn't nearly as good as NHL 94. I mean, that was just such a groundbreaking sports game. And, uh, you know, for the record, the Maple Leafs were my team. And uh, to me, Doug Gilmore was like in the pantheon of uh, sports video game athletes, the way, you know, Bo Jackson of Tecmo Bowl was. Like I, I was pretty awesome with Doug Gilmore back in the day. Not to honk my own horn, but uh, yeah, man, we killed so many hours, uh, my buddies and I, playing that game. Like in our youth, it was just amazing. For me, it was the Red Wings, Iserman, Iserbar, oh. the Y Brothers. Totally agree. <laughs> Great call. That they were tough to beat, man. That was a that was a tough team. Next question of being totally lazy here because I write the waiver wire column for Action Network. Who is going to be the hot week one waiver wire pickup? <laughs> Oh, man. Like, I don't know if it's going to be a truly valuable pickup, especially in like your typical 12 team league with 16 man rosters. But I have a feeling that after uh, Divino Zigbo is like the lead back for the Jaguars, that everyone is going to be scrambling to get him this week. Like, I, you know, Chris Thompson has that passing down role. He's going to have that. But it's going to be the question of who is getting you know, the start, the early down work for them, uh, you know, with Ryquel Armstead on the COVID list and, um, you know, Zigbo being the veteran. I think James Robinson is kind of a, a dark horse for this role and for fantasy relevance here. But I think a Zigbo is going to be the guy that people are chasing after he gets like 12 to, to 15 carries in week one. I don't know how valuable he's actually going to be on this dumpster fire of a team where it only makes sense that they audition multiple backs. But I think people are going to want him. Pat, I feel like we're having a beverage out in Milwaukee, man. This is so easy talking to you. Last question that I'll get you out of here. Amazing stuff. Give me the bold prediction. Give me the, we look back on this one in December and we're saying, you know, Pat was kind of right about that one. It can be a good or a bad one here. What's your bold 2020 fantasy football prediction? Oh man. So I've already gotten some mileage out of the, out of the, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor leads the league in rushing prediction. So I'm not going to use that one here. I got to go in a different direction. And, um, I mentioned how the reports about C.D. Lamb were so glowing out of training camp. And I have heard equally great things about Jerry Judy and how he was and how how some people, observers of their training camp practices, feel like he's potentially as good as Cortland Sutton right now. Um, You know, and maybe people are just kind of slow playing how good this wide receiver class really is and is – how impactful it could be in year one. So I will say that CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy 
both finish as top 25 receivers. There it is, folks. Amazing job. One of the most accurate, if not the most accurate ranker in the business, Pat Fitzmaurice. Fitz on Fantasy Podcast, footballgirl.com. Got to follow him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Pat, you never disappoint. Amazing job as always, man. Pleasure talking to you. And as we drop this pod, week one will have already started, which is music to both of our ears. Oh, Mike, thanks so much for having me on. It's always great to talk to you and uh, best of luck in week one, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. The wait is finally over, folks. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From the game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Go and head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.